Now, before we jump into today's text, I, I want to start with a question to kind of get us all on the same page, going in the same direction. And here's, here's the question just to start us out this morning. Do you really want to be just like everyone else? Especially for those under the age of 40, which is not me, by the way, uh, in case you couldn't figure that out. Uh, but do you really just aspire to be like everyone else, to just be average? Like my goal in life, you know, you're 20 or 25, sat down, you know, my goal, my aspiration is I want to be the most average person ever. I just want to be like everyone else. And here's what I mean by everyone else. Everyone else wants their life to look like a beer or car commercial, okay? Uh, I mean, that's what everyone else wants. And to some degree, I think this is what all of us want. I mean, every else, everyone else wants to look good and to be surrounded by people that look good. And they don't want to have real jobs, and they want it to always be sunny. They want it to be a sunny afternoon leading into an exciting evening, and uh, they, uh, they want to defy age and gravity. They want to be surrounded by uh, people, again, that look good. They want to have plenty of money. They want no debt. You know, have no worries, uh, nothing but smiles. Everyone else wants their life to basically look like a beer and car commercial, but it doesn't. And again, men especially. Like, you need to hear me in this. Like, contrary to what we believe about everyone else, everyone, everyone else in reality is stressed and anxious and worried. Everyone else is in debt. Everyone else is trying desperately not to turn into their parents, which pushes them into the direction of turning out just like their parents. Everyone else, they don't enjoy what they have because they're too busy trying to get what they don't have. Everyone else drinks a little bit too much. Everyone else is taking or drinking or smoking stuff that you don't know about, and they appear happy all the time, but they're chemically happy because they're medicating themselves. I mean, you don't know that. You're looking at them going like, man, I wish I had that much joy in my life. They're like, woo, you know, and just, you know, but everybody else, everyone else is just trying to manufacture happiness. And in the world of everyone else, the single women are afraid they're going to be single forever. So they troll with their bodies. And then they wonder why their relationships all end up pretty much the same. And the single guys are thinking, well, why would I ever get married? Because I can have the primary benefit of marriage without being married. And then they just wonder why all the relationships end up the same. But I can get the primary benefit, I mean, with all of these hookup apps especially. And at the same time, I can't find the perfect woman. And every time I think I've found the perfect woman... I mean, she has daddy issues, or she has trust issues, shocking, or she's not perfect, so I just keep moving on to the next one, and I want to find the perfect woman who actually stays perfect, and everyone else is looking for the perfect person instead of working to become the perfect person, the person to become the person that they're looking for is looking for, so marriage is a maybe, but maybe not ever, because I've never even really seen a marriage that I really want to copy, and in the world of everyone else... The married women are hoping that their husbands will remain faithful, and the men are wondering if they have to remain faithful because marriage isn't everything that they thought it would be, and they didn't think marriage would be this hard. They thought sex would be more frequent and with less effort and would somehow resemble what they entertained themselves on Pornhub for all these years. In the world of everyone else, even though they won't admit it, every teen does care what everyone else thinks about them in the high school years, and no matter how many times we tell them, you know, son or sweetheart, you know, in four years, like, these people, they're, they're out of your lives. They're just out of your lives. So why would you wake up every single day and look in the mirror and worry about the opinion of people 
who won't even be in your life in three or four years. In the, wor- in the world of everyone else, college students are scared to death because they're wondering if they're going to get a job because they, they're convinced that their future is dependent on an economy, an economy that they have no control over. Now, this is none of us, right? This is everyone else, okay? Everyone other than those in the room. Everyone else wants the, their life to look like a car and a beer commercial. And it's like, well, how do these people do this? It's like, wait a minute. They pour the beer and they hold the beer, but they never drink it. So maybe that's the answer, okay? You just hold it and pour it. You know, maybe that's a secret. You hold it. So some of you, that might be a really good first step. Okay, you've got a husband or wife, like, I love this church, like, that's it, honey. Just pour it and hold it, but just don't drink it, okay? Now, the truth is, and we know this, everyone else is taking their cues from everyone else. Some of you, maybe many of you, maybe, maybe most of us are, are taking our cues, taking our cues and trying to decide, do I measure up? How successful am I? Uh, how happy should I feel? How content should I feel? You're taking your cues from everyone else. And if you take your cues from everyone else, this might come as a shock. But if you do that, you'll just end up like everyone else. Now, the big problem with taking our cues from everyone else, especially from Facebook, now Meta, you know, Insta, Reels, TikTok, Snapchat, all this, you're taking your cues from everyone else's highlight reels. Not their whole life. I mean, we know this, right? I mean, we, we kind of know this. You're just seeing them at their best. And again, especially as men, you know, we get together, especially if you're a marketplace guy, and it's all about appendage measuring and about how we're crushing it in life or in our jobs or our relationships, you know, how successful our kids are because we're competitive by nature. And so we offer up in the stories and the bits and pieces that give the appearance that we've just got life by the horns and we're running with it. And we look around at others and what they have or what they look like, how they look, how successful they seem to be, and we just see the peaks, not the valleys. You see the highlight reels, and, 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 and they're happy, and they're smiling, and they're rich, and their cars never seem dirty, even though their cars are black, and they always seem to have a job, and it just seems like they only have to work half the time. And the problem with taking your cues from everyone else is you're taking your cues from their highlight reels. But you don't know that they're in counseling, and I'm all for counseling, but you don't know, and you never hear the frequent arguments that they have behind closed doors. You don't know that they haven't had sex in seven months, even though they talk and act like they just ha- it happens all the time. Based on how they talk and the pictures you post, they, you don't know that they actually already have one foot outside of the marriage, or they're on the verge of needing to check into a rehab center. I mean, you just don't, you just, you have no idea that what they tell you or the pictures that they post bear no resemblance on the relationship they actually have with their children. And we somehow forget that happy on the outside does not mean happy on the inside. Because you can't see memories. You can't see wounds. You can't see scars or abuse. You can't see guilt. And far too often, depression and anxiety has a huge smile on its face. And for many of us, if we were to tell our story, our story would go something like this. That in my past, there was a point or a decision where I decided to live like everyone else. But had I known that living like that on the outside would leave me feeling like what I feel like on the inside, I would have made a different decision. 
Nobody talks about this part. That I looked around with my eyes, I listened to the message through my ears, and I embraced a lifestyle, a, a person, a direction. I abandoned some things that I raised with. But if I had only known, if I could have only peered into the hearts and the souls of the people I emulated, the people whose lifestyles I copied, the direction I took, if I had known that living like that on the outside would leave me, leave me living, uh, feeling like this on the inside, I would have made a different decision. And eventually... You did what I've done in my own past. You did what we've been talking about through this series. You, you did what was right in your own eyes. You did what you wanted, when you wanted, with whom you wanted. But now you're on the other side of those adult decisions. And even though you never intended it to be, in some ways you kind of ended up just like everyone else. So here's my question again, and then we're going to move on. Do you really want to be like everyone else? Do you want to continue to be like everyone else? Because if not, the good news is there's a different way. Your heavenly father, not your imperfect earthly father, even though you may have had a, a great father, a terrible father, you may not even know who your father was, but your heavenly father who is the per perfection of all things father, your perfect heavenly father wants to offer you something better. Regardless of who you are, where you've been, or what you've done, or how many times, times you've ignored that still small voice in you that was like, I really don't think this is a good idea, but you did it anyways, there's a way out. Now to get us there, we have to go all the way back into the Old Testament. The reason it's called the Old Testament is because it's really old. And uh, this particular book in the Old Testament is in the book of Judges, and uh, a little uh, after 1380 B.C., and this lasted, what we've been talking about, lasted for about 330 years. The book of Judges is a period of life uh, for ancient Israel between the time Moses dies and Joshua takes over. He gets them into what's called the promised land. He gets the dorm rooms all set up and everything. And he, he initiates a, what's to be a period of theocracy where basically they don't have an earthly king. God's king. He's given the nation a law. He would rule through judges. They were to implement the law of God. And that's how the nation would run. And, and for the most part, it was a disaster. I mean, there were peaks and valleys, but there were mostly valleys. And they went through this cycle where uh, over and over again where the nation would disobey God, there would be a disaster, and then they would do exactly what you and I would do, what we talked about the first week, like when we're teenagers and suddenly we're sitting in the principal's office. I had my own personal chair there, uh, and we're, or we're in the police station, maybe not so much there. Uh, but it's like you had to call the very person whose rules you disobeyed, like, hey, mom, dad, I'm in the principal's office or I'm in the police station. It's not a field trip. I need you to come and bail me out. Okay, that was Israel over and over again. It's like they would disobey God's law. It would be a disaster. God, would you please come and pick us up, deliver us from this? And guess what God would do? He would deliver the nation. And he did this over and over and over again, which means the God that we're talking about in this series and the God that we talk about here every single week is a God of mercy. He's a God who will not force his will on you or on me. So you and I choose to do something stupid, we face the consequences, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. You make a bad decision, you have to live with it. But he is not a God who abandons his people. So over and over and over through the book of Judges, we see this cycle. And then you get to the end and it ends with this great big statement. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. 
And it was a disaster because, as we said last week, they, they looked around at the nations around them and decided, hey, we, we want some of that. We want to experience some of that. And the very nations they copied turned around and ended up putting them into captivity, just like with you and me. There's that thing. There's that thing that has mastered you. That thing that has mastered you. That thing that you wished you had never started doing or never started being a part of as a teen or as a young adult. Because it looked pleasurable. But now you can't break free from it. That thing that captured your attention, your imagination, and now it's captured maybe your time. Maybe it captured a relationship or your money. And you, or you can't say no to it. It was the same thing with the nation of Israel. The, the very culture and people that they looked to and copied, they ended up in captivity to, just like us. Now, all that could be avoided in my life and in your life if from this point forward, if we would take some very simple advice that Joshua gave, the leader Joshua before he died, he gave them some extraordinary advice that they ignored or they forgot. And this was his warning to them because he was smart. He said, look, you're going to get settled, and then you're going to start looking around at all, everyone else. You're going to think, hey, we think we want to be like all these other nations. But Joshua warned them, look, you can't be a nation like every other nation because God has something special for you. In fact, in three weeks, right before Christmas, we're going to talk specifically about this component as it relates to us. Because as a heads up, God has something special for you. And if you're not careful, you'll sabotage it or you miss it. So here are the instructions they forgot or ignored they, that just caused them to trip up over and over and over again. And the reason we're talking about this is because my hope is that as we look at what they went through, that perhaps you and perhaps me, that we could apply the lesson to our lives and perhaps break free from the trap of just being like everyone else and experience life that is truly life. My grandfather told me years ago, I've remembered it, he said, a smart person learns from their mistakes. A wise person learns from the mistakes of others. So Joshua says, do not associate with or ally with these nations remaining among you. Do not call on the names of their gods or make an oath to them. Do not worship them or bow down to them. Instead, remain faithful to the Lord your God as you have done to this day. He says, look, you're moving into this land. There are people that were there before you who are going to be living in the land. And, and though because of our law, we actually have to be hospitable to these people that are foreigners. Even though you're going to live amongst and rub elbows, elbows with these people, you cannot ally or align yourself. You cannot, you cannot embrace their lives or their lifestyles or their cultures. And specifically, you cannot worship their gods. You need to differentiate yourself from them. You're going to work with and around them, but don't start looking around and taking your cues from the people around you. Because if you do, he warns, they will become snares and traps for you, whips on your backs and thorns in your eyes. I mean, his language is so extreme. Until you perish from this good land which the Lord God has given you. He says, look, if you start looking around, you're going to start drifting. You're going to start lusting. And you'll start embracing and he's telling you, he's saying, I'm telling you, the reason you'll move in their direction is because it is going to look attractive. You're going to see their highlight reels. And it's just going to look like it has a happy ending. And you and I, we can all think back and that this is our story. It's part of our story. There was something that was just so attractive to us. 
So we moved in that direction. But in the end, as Joshua warns, because he's smart, he says, I'm warning you. I promise you it'll become like snares and traps, whips on your backs, thorns in your eyes. It will be the very thing that we've been talking about, that the thing that has mastered you in the beginning, it was appealing. Now you hate it. And, and what you freely chose to say yes to in the beginning, now you can't say no to. And you wish you could. And Joshua says, so don't look around. God wants you to look up. Because if you don't, what looks attractive around you eventually will captivate you, capture you. And again, he's so extreme in his language. Snares and traps and whips on your backs and thorns in your eyes. And let's just talk about this for just a second. Because isn't it true? Isn't it true that there are things that you wish you could go back and unsee? Some things that you wished you had never seen. I mean, for some of you, or your spouse, you're driving something you wish you'd never seen, okay? Your, your friend or your neighbor got one, and, and he's like, hey, come give it a test drive, or you saw what they got, so you decided to stop by the dealer and check it out, and you drove it, you saw, and it had that intoxicating new car smell, and then you got back in your car, and it smelled like what? Family, all right? It's just like, you ever experienced that? You know, one more moment, your car smelled fine, and now suddenly, like, oh, I need a different car. My car smells bad. You know, but now... Now you just wish you'd never sat in that car, never seen it, because now you've got a payment with no margin in your finances. Or don't you wish like you'd never actually gone to visit them at their home, because before you went to their home, your home was fine, and suddenly you go to their home like, I don't like my home. Like, I need more. I need something different. I mean, don't you wish you'd never seen her or him, instead of doing a second take, maybe just look the other way. I mean, isn't it true for all of us? There are just some things and some people that we wished we had never seen. That we could go back and unsee. Because what we saw impacted the direction of our lives. Data came into our eyes, our brains, our hearts, and the next, things are, the next thing we know, our bodies and our behavior follow. And if you could just go back to being 17 or 21 or 25 or 35 or 40, however old you were, and just like unsee it, unsee him, unsee her, your life would be different. And in a similar way, I mean, aren't there just people in our life we just wish we could go back and unmeet? Like, I wish I had never met her or never met him. I wish I'd never returned that call or responded to that text. I wish I'd unfriended. When I look back at my life, like, that was the fork in the road. That was, that was the crossroads, the moment where the pain and perhaps the tragedy that followed began. With a small decision. And maybe it wasn't just a still small voice. Maybe there were some loud voices. Maybe friends or family trying to warn you off. But it's like, you know, I look back. I was just so stubborn and determined. I'm going to do what I want, when I want, with who I want. It's my life. And that person or that situation, that purchase became a snare or a trap. Because the things that capture our attention eventually impact the direction of our lives. And the next thing we know, we're just living or dating or doing life or going into debt, doing everything like everyone else because direction, not intention, determines our destination. So Josh says, it'll start off good, but it's going to end bad until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. And this is so important. See, one of the struggles the nation of Israel had is a struggle that many of us have. And that struggle is that they felt like God was trying to keep them from something good instead of trying to give them something good. They felt like if 
if we follow God's way, we're going to miss out. They had FOMO. They had fear of missing out. God's going, listen, by obeying me, by following me, by obeying my law, you're right, you're going to miss out. You're going to miss out on something bad because I'm trying to give you something good. I'm trying... But the nation kept looking around at these pagan nations and what they did and said, no, God, you know, as we look around, we just feel like if we say yes to you, we're going to have to say no to a lot of good things. And this is the question we all have to wrestle to the ground, especially if you're someone that you're considering, you haven't quite stepped over that line of faith yet, but you're thinking about it. But all of us have to decide pretty much every day, we have to decide, is God keeping something from me or is he trying to give something to me? Do I believe that God is for me? Or do I believe that God just somehow gets his thrills by keeping something good from me? Do I believe that by saying no to some of what I want now means that God will reward me with, with what I want most in the end? You have to settle that once and for all. Do I believe? In fact, the very first temptation that's recorded, the very first temptation that, took, temptation that took place according to Jewish, Christian, and also Islamic tradition was the temptation to believe that God was against the human race, not for it. In Jewish and Christian belief, the deceiver came to Adam and Eve, and by the way, as I've said here before, the reason we take Adam and Eve seriously isn't because it's in the Bible. We take Adam and Eve seriously because the one who predicted and pulled off his own death and resurrection, Jesus, took Adam and Eve seriously. And in Jewish and Christian belief, the deceiver came to Adam and Eve and said, so God told you not to eat any fruit from that tree, that something bad would happen to you? Actually, if you eat fruit from that tree, something good is actually going to happen for you. God cannot be trusted. God is trying to keep something good from you, not give you something good. And I'm just telling you, wherever you're at in your particular religious pursuit, every day you and I have to wrestle this to the ground. Is God for me or is he not? Every day. Is God for me? Is he, or is he trying to keep something good from me? And the nation of Israel decided, hey, when we look around at everyone else, it appears to us that God is just trying to keep something good from us. And Joshua pleaded with the people, don't believe that lie. Now then, he said, Throw away your foreign gods that are among you. He said, if there's anything in your life, your family or in your house, you know, wherever your stash is, under the bed, maybe a just-in-case, somewhere box, if there's anything in you that has the potential to draw you away from your king, your God, Joshua says, get rid of it. Throw it away. Go to extreme measures because you cannot step away from God without stepping toward something else. And this is extremely important and extremely dangerous and he makes this preeminent statement that I hope I can leave you with as we set ourselves up for the, the next few weeks. He says, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts. Yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. Now this is, is so powerful. Yield your hearts. And here's why. Here's the way that the kingdom of God works as we walk this earth. The kingdom of God operates essentially is an invisible king, the way it was supposed to be in the time of the judges. He's going to be your invisible king, which means that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of an informed conscience. And the way the kingdom of informed conscience works is from the inside out. 
that God is a kingdom of informed conscience, that he wants to do something on the inside of you that affects the way you live on the outside. It's God, renew my heart, renew my mind. Help me to think like you think, see the way you see, feel the way you feel, and love the way you love. I pray a version of this prayer so often because I recognize my nature just goes the opposite direction of these things. I pray this, God, help me to see people the way you see them. Help me to treat them the way you want me to treat them. God, help me to see money the way you see it. God, help me to see as you see, because if I see the world as you see it, then what you ask of me will make sense. But if I see the world the way the culture and everyone else around me wants me to see the world, then what they do will make perfect sense. And God, I'm old enough, I've been around long enough, I don't want to just be like everyone else. I want to be better than that for all the reasons we've already discussed. So the kingdom of God in this life is a kingdom of the mind, of the heart, and of the conscience. It moves from the inside out. That's why Joshua says, yield your hearts. Because one of the dumbest things you will ever hear, and I've heard this so many times, and and I'm, just, I'm going to ask your forgiveness if you've ever said this, okay? But, but one of the dumbest things that you're ever going to hear is just follow your heart. Just follow your heart. Well, one of the ancient writers of the old, in the Old Testament, man, he nailed it. He said, here's why you shouldn't follow your heart. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand this? And see, it doesn't matter what you believe about God. You know this to be true. Because every single regret that you have began with you following your heart. Just like me. Following your heart. Which God wants and offers so much better. So if you, instead of following your heart, instead of choosing, you know what, I'm going to follow my heart, which is essentially, I'm going to do what I want, when I want, with who I want. And instead you yield your heart to God instead of following the heart, following God, turning to Him. Yield your heart and allow God to do in your heart what God wants to do. You'll be predispositioned to obey the will of God, which will ultimately lead you to where you want to go and what you want to have. Peace. Contentment. Joy. Joy even in the midst of joy-stealing circumstances. And on the flip side, the kingdom of this world is a kingdom of covet and appetite that is never satisfied. Everything that comes through my eyes, my ears, my senses, it all comes in and wants to dictate my behavior, how I live it out. And the way I see the world, the way I see people and money and sex and family, the way I think about everything, it becomes a kingdom of covet and appetite, and it's from the outside in. These are very, very two different ways of viewing and living life. And you're smart enough to know that this is better. In fact, for those of you that, if you're parents, you may not even be religious, but you're already trying to lead your kids in this direction because you already know that the best way to live life is from a healthy inside. Because there's enough of the image of God in you and in me that we recognize that, again, life is better lived from a healthy inside out instead of taking my cues from everyone else and the culture around me. So Joshua says... Allow your hearts, don't follow your hearts, but allow them to be yielded to God and shaped by God. So as you look around at everyone else, you'll have compassion, 
but you'll not be conformed. You're going to have empathy, but you won't embrace. You're going to love them, but you're not going to be led by them because I want to lead you from the inside out. Because again, isn't it true, your, your greatest regret, just like mine, would have been avoided if you were living your life with a heart completely yielded to God instead of culture and everyone else around you. So what else would you expect a good and loving God who Jesus introduces as a loving heavenly Father to say? So here's the question I just want to end with and send you out with, and we're going to pick this up in in two weeks, this amazing story of Samson. Have you yielded your heart? Have you yielded your heart to the Lord your God? Some of you, because again, of who we're trying to connect with in, in the city of Wichita, would say, Chad, I'm not a Christian yet. Okay, that's, that's all right. Let's just start with paying attention with what's already going on in the inside of you. Have you yielded your heart to God? Have you yielded it recently? Because this isn't just one and done, this is a lifestyle. It's kind of like marriage. Yeah, there's like this really big marking day where like this big thing starts off, and many of you have had a day like that, and many of you, you've had a day like that. You can point to a calendar like, this was my day with God. This was when I made a decision. But after every wedding, there comes a marriage, and there are daily decisions every day to decide to sacrifice, to yield, to submit for the benefit of the other person, for the benefit of the relationship and the marriage, and ultimately for yourself. Have you yielded your heart to God? So to say, I want to be led, God, from the inside out, not anymore from the outside in. And what's at stake is so much bigger than just you. What's at stake is the next generation. And and for many of you in this room, the next generation is running around your home. Right now they're running around kids' life. Because as we've said, you cannot hurt you without hurting those that are coming up behind you. And, and, and many of you, you're, you know this because your examples, because you were hurt by someone in the previous generation. People you should have been able to trust, and, but they took their cues from someone or something else other than the God of Jesus, and, and they wounded you, maybe badly. But we have the chance to make, do things different. A chance to raise up a generation of men and women who can do better, be better, have it better, and to be set up for a life in a world so much better than what was handed to us. Now I want to help you with this. So uh, on, the way, on the way out, and I, I want to invite the band to, to come on up. But on the way out, uh, I've got an amazing gal, her name's Leanne, she'll, she'll be at the door, she's going to be handing these out, out these little cards, and I have just a little homework assignment for you, uh, so eventually Israel would have a king, Saul, he didn't do so well, should go read the story, David comes along, he's like a prolific, he's a warrior, he's a poet, he's a shepherd king, and he, and he writes these powerful words in, in one of the Psalms, and I'm just going to send you out with a snippet of it, uh, so for those of you that are in the room today, you're going to get a card as you leave. Uh, if you're joining us online, I just want you to Google Psalm 119, verses 35 through 37. 
Psalm 119, verse 35 to 37. I'm going to walk you through it in just a minute. Uh, but I want to challenge all of you to, to read this out loud for just the next seven days. Okay? Just for a week. Now, if you get carried away and go for two weeks, you will not be penalized. All right? Uh, and uh, you know, re- uh, if you want to read this out loud to your family or with your roommate, or if you want to like, say this over your kids at night when you're, you're putting them to bed, maybe make it a prayer over them, just knock yourself out. All I'm asking is that you would consider, regardless of what you believe, because again, some of you, you'd say, I'm not a Christian yet. Okay, no harm done, all right? So nothing's going to, bad, because regardless of what you believe, whether you're a believer or a skeptic, you've got enough life experience to know that life from a healthy inside out is better, and life from the outside in is damaging to our heart and our mind. And if you say, because some of you, I know, we've got a lot of engineers and introverts here. Like, do I have to say this out loud? Yes. <laughs> because I want you, your brain to really process the words. And here's what David wrote, and here's what's on the cards that you're going to get as you leave. Direct me in the path of your commands. For there is where I find delight. Turn my heart towards your statutes and not towards selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. It's like God in the past, I've taken a lot of different paths, but I've not taken your singular path. Direct me on yours because that's where I'm going to find the thing I want most, delight. And my heart's been geared towards what's coming in from the outside. I want you to turn my heart so that it's geared from what's coming from you, that I can live that on the outside. Turn my heart towards your statutes, which just means commands or laws or your ways, and not towards selfish gain. In other words, God, help, me, help keep me from wanting more and more and more and click clicking that Amazon Prime. It doesn't matter. It's like, oh, it's Christmas every day. I don't even remember what I ordered. God, help me. See, most of us would have more money in the bank and less debt if we just did that one thing. So for just seven mornings, would you say it out loud? You know, put, put the card on your mirror or your dashboard. Maybe you put it on your nightstand by the bed before your feet hit the floor in the morning that you would just say or pray this out loud. Heavenly Father, direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Because I haven't found a lot of delight there yet, God, because I've been trying to find it in other places. But how amazing if I could really see the world the way you see the world. And when my eyes go towards buying things I shouldn't buy and going places I shouldn't go and websites and apps that I really shouldn't be going to, God, turn my eyes from worthless things. And God, I want to live from the inside out to be ruled by a Father God who loves me and is for me. Will you change my heart and transform my mind so I'm going to yield my heart to you and live from the kingdom of an informed conscience. So let's pray. Father, I know that uh, this lands in a lot of different places with this many people, including myself. And God, we're all in this together. We all battle the same thing, the same draws, the same temptations, the same distractions. And so, Father, none of us is better than the other. We're in this with you. We're so thankful that we have these stories to learn from, this history to learn from. And we pray for what Jesus, as I always say, referred to as the helper, the Holy Spirit, that if we would turn to you, that 
you don't just leave it to our own strength and power because we can't do it on our own without you. We need one another and we need your help. And so, Father, we ask for that. We ask for that spirit, for that help, for us to take that next step, whatever that step is, that you would make it clear to us, you would give us the courage and the people and the help of your spirit to do that. I just thank you for this opportunity to just be honest and restful, wrestle with these difficult things, but that you would give us the solutions and hope in all of it. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.